We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Let's take a look here at uh, Isaiah 49 that Charles read to us. We're looking at um, the songs of the servant here at this Easter season, going to the prophet Isaiah and looking at Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53 that are prophecies of the person of the coming Messiah, as Charles said, that are 700 plus years before Jesus. Um, I told you this last week, good thing to remember that whenever you start to have writing prophets, it's because the preaching prophets had been rejected, the law of God has been rejected, and the nation is going through a breakdown and they're about to go into captivity. The Northern Kingdom in 722 BC goes into captivity with the Assyrians. And 606 to 586, there are three deportations of Jerusalem. They go into captivity of Babylon. And there begins a time that is called the times of the Gentiles, where Israel is no longer ruled by a Jewish king. They're going to be ruled by Assyrians and then by uh, Babylonians and Persians and Greeks and Romans. And then by 70, they're cast out of the land and still they are not sovereign over their own land, even from 1948 on. And so it begins a period called the times of the Gentiles. It's a very depressed period. And um, God raised up some men to write because a prophet, a writing prophet does four things. He calls to account your sin and then he warns you of what's about to happen to you. That the Assyrians are gonna come down on you from the north and the Babylonians are gonna come down on you from the south. And I'm about to take away from you the land that I gave you. If you will not obey me, then I will remove my blessing. And my blessing is the land you stand on. So I'll remove it. And the multitude of people that are in the land I gave to you as a promise to Abraham, you didn't keep the word. And so I'll take the people. And so you have these prophets that will write about sin, repentance, and then a warning of what's about to happen. And then they'll write of Christ because that is the ultimate hope of Israel. Because even though Israel is going to get cast out of the land, is God now finished with them? No. There's hope for them someday at the return of the Messiah. And so all the prophets, the writing prophets, and the reason that they're writing is it so when the nation goes into exile, it's God, like he says, take this scroll with you. And when you're in your lowest point, you read it and you see that there's going to be hope. And so in Isaiah 49, we have the second of the, uh, the writing prophets. Incidentally, if you'll take Amos, Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah, they all write at the same times. A-H-M-I, uh, ah, because they were a depressed time. And each prophet, when you read the first verse of each prophet, it'll set the time. And they're all in the time of Jeroboam II. Don't worry about that. But as the nation began to dissolve and to break down, that's when God writes. It's like they've come to the point of no return. And so God gives them a document that when you hit the bottom, then you pick this up and it'll give you hope. And so in Isaiah 49, it begins with Messiah is speaking. In 700 BC, Messiah is speaking uh, the time until he is prophesied, until he comes, is over 700 years. That's twice the length of the United States. And so God gives, there's no way that we can have a, a, an imitation of what he did. This is God's doing. And so the Messiah says, listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The islands to a Jew is going off the coast of the Mediterranean on out to Cyprus and Crete, all the way to Rome, all the way to Tarshish uh, and the pillars of the Straits of Hercules until you head off into the Atlanta, next stop, South Carolina, okay? 
And so when he says the islands and peoples from afar, that's talking about you and it's talking about me. Non-Jews that are un, all that are in the distribution of the Tower of Babel. You know what Babel means? It means confusion. And we're all out in a world of confusion that has no idea who God is. And so listen to me. And not just listen, but pay attention. You ever say that to your kid? Don't just look at me, pay attention. Whenever a DI drill instructor says, tin hut, you come straight, erect, and your eyes are on him. You don't look around and you listen to what he says. And so God says, you listen. Incidentally, does this listen to me, O peoples? Do you remember a verse in the New Testament where Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, God speaks and he says, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And then he says, listen to him. And so listen to me. Uh, the Lord, and here's why you should listen, because he is a divinely sent individual. To reject him is to reject God. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, someday God's gonna raise up a prophet just like me, and he's gonna be from the people, and whoever does not listen to him, God will require it from him. Moses says there's gonna be a second Moses someday that's gonna be the one that stands between God and the people. And he's the one that will tell you who he is. And so we look forward to the word become flesh that dwelt among us. And so pay attention because, and if you'll look from the third line all the way down to verse four or verse three, you'll see seven times that the Messiah says he is in league with God. He is like Moses said, his name is in me. To listen to me is to listen to God. To reject me is to reject God. I'm the touchstone of heaven. Uh, the Lord called me from the body of my mother. He named me. He's made my mouth a sharp sword. He's concealed me, made me a select arrow, hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you're my servant. Me, 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 me. That I am in collusion with God. And so the Lord called me from the womb and from the body of my mother, he named me. It's like the Messiah is special ops sent by God into this world. Is there another man in the Bible that when he is born, an angel says, his name shall be called Jesus because he will Jesus his people from their sins. Jesus means God's salvation. He will save his people from their sins. And so that's Christ spoken 700 years before he comes by him himself. In verse two, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. When he speaks of his mouth, that is a term for the prophet. God touched the mouth of Jeremiah and said, you'll be my spokesman. He touched the mouth of Isaiah, said, you'll be my spokesman. He said to Moses, you'll speak for me. Moses said, I can't speak. God said, I'll be with your mouth. And so when he says he made my mouth, this servant of the Lord is going to say some things and they will be the final word from the Old Testament, the final word of all of the Bible. As a matter of fact, when Messiah appears in glory, he has a name written on his thigh that is the word of God. And so he made my mouth like a sharp sword. The word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the motives of the heart. And so he says, my mouth is the word of God. And uh, he's not just a sharp sword, but two lines later, he made me a select arrow. You fight with a sharp sword, your enemies up close. You fight with an arrow, your enemies far away. This man is going to be rejected by Jew and by Gentile, those close and those far away. And so... He says, but in the shadow of his hand, he concealed me. He's hidden me in his quiver. He is protected by God. 
even though the whole world will reject him, God is, is with him. This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And in verse three, here's what God says to him. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. That's an odd term. Christ was the embodiment of what a Jew should be. And in that sense, he is the embodiment of what a human should be in possession of the word of God. Uh, do you remember when John the Baptist goes to baptize Christ and John says, I can't baptize you. I have need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, permit it at this time to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus observed the Passover. He was the Passover. Jesus was circumcised. He is the circumcision. Jesus, they offered up a sin offering for him at eight days. He is our sin offering. Uh, why? So what did he mean by, to John the Baptist, permit it, it's forfeiting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Christ had done everything that a Jew should do. He is the perfect Jew and thus the perfect man. And at the time of John the Baptist, where would a righteous Jew have been? He would have been down at the River Jordan being baptized. Amen. And so he says, God said to me, you are a Jew. As a matter of fact, there's a book in the New Testament. It says the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to my seed because in him, all the promises are given. Who is the seed of Abraham to whom all the promises are given? Sounds like Jesus starts with a J. Yeah. What book is that? It's Galatians. All the promises are in this one man. We all in here are different kind of people. We're all united by one thing. We happen to have a great affinity for one particular Jew. And that's one who died on the cross. And so you are my servant, Israel. You're what a Jew should be and whom I will show my glory. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we saw his glory. The words of God were in him. The power of God was in him. The love of God was in him. As he died on the cross, the justice of God was shown. He is the image of the invisible God. You are my servant, you are Israel, what it should be. And I will show my glory. Is there a guy in the Bible who asked God, I would like to see your glory. And God says, no, you don't. No man can look on me and live. Who are we talking about? Moses. I'll put you in a rock. I'll cover you with my hand and you'll see my back as I pass. Paul said that we have beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ. When you see Christ, you see God. And so in verse four, three, he said to me, verse four, but I said, but I said. So here is this man that calls the world to listen to him because he represents God. He is the perfect Jew. But in verse four, but I said, I have toiled in vain. <coughs> Excuse me. I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity. Question. Did Israel receive this man? Some did. A woman named Mary would not leave his feet. Mary Magdalene would not leave his feet. Um, the 12 would run to the tomb to see if indeed he was risen. Now, there was a remnant that would listen to him. But on the by and large, they did not. He was rejected, betrayed, deserted, executed, and given no funeral. Placed in the tomb through the pity of a friend in a, in a borrowed tomb. 
And so he was rejected. You know, John Calvin once said that every minister of God, no matter who they are, if they teach a few people or a lot of people or share with their neighbors, if your life is committed to the eternal things, he said, you will say, verse 4, at some point, that I have spent my strength for nothing. Uh, I look sometimes at some of the people that have gone through this church, and I see them later on, and I think, what a waste. What a waste of my breath on these guys. Paul would talk about guys that he said, so my labor will not be in vain. And so anybody who is ministering for God always has to recognize three things. Your personal life is never going to be where it should be. Amen. You're never going to hit a point in your life that you go, voila, I've arrived. You're always going to struggle. Number two, the people you teach are always going to some level not do what you tell them to do. You won't always do what you tell them to do. And so you can't put your hopes in your own personal righteousness and you can't put them in the people you teach. And the world that you're trying to penetrate will never, ever come around. Amen? They will never come around. And so you have to work and labor for the approval of only one person. And there you see it in verse 4. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely the justice due me is with the Lord. God would raise him from the dead. Paul said he was declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. One voice said, well done. And that was God. And he says, my reward is from God. John Calvin said that if you're going to minister, you have to always remember that you're going to present yourself to God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. You're never judged for numbers or for success. Ask Stephen. You never are. You're judged for fidelity. Let a man consider us as this, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 1 Corinthians 4.1. And in this case, moreover, it is found of stewards that they be found trustworthy. You got to answer to God. He said, it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. I'm not the one who approves me. He said, the one who examines me is God. And so you always have to live before the eyes of God or you're going to become disappointed. Rose, is that true when you're a counselor? Yes, you can get disappointed. Buddy, is that true when you do apologetics? No one will listen. And we're geniuses, okay? And so he says, my reward is with God. And verse five, now notice verse three. He said, verse four, I said, verse five, now says the Lord, it's a conversation. Now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him. When Christ came, he did not go to anybody but the lost, house of, lost sheep of Israel. And his message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Israel did not come back to him. It was though he had toiled in vain. And so God said, who formed me from the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to him that Israel could be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of God and God is my strength. Question, did Jesus do everything God told him to do? Yes. You go preach to my people and he did it. And in verse six, here was his reward. It is too small a thing to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, restore the preserved ones of Israel. Oh no, I, my reward is going to be greater than that because I will make you a light to the nations. I will make you, in the next line, my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. 
I'm not just going to let you someday gather Israel together, which he will, but I'm going to make you right now the light to the nations. Are you telling me that the nations are in darkness? Yes. Let me ask you, can you figure out how to go to the moon and still wreck your life morally and theologically? Yes, you can. We are a nation that can give you a new heart and lungs. We are a nation where you can get on a smartphone and talk to people all over the world. Can you do all that and still wreck your life? We're in the dark. They used to say that in the old days, everyone went to church. No one locked their doors. Today, no one goes to church and everyone locks their doors. And so that can happen to you. Let me give you a good example of this. Was there a guy in the Old Testament that God told him in a vision that someday his brothers and his mother and father would bow down to him? Who are we talking about? Joseph. Uh, it took a while. He kept going lower and lower. He got thrown in a pit, thrown in a, in a jail, and then a jailer forgot him. He got sold into slavery, but he keeps trusting God. He called his brothers to be good shepherds, and they rejected him. They sought to put him to death. One of his brothers named Judas sold him for the price of a slave. Sound familiar? Yeah, that was Joseph. And he trusted God all the way until all of a sudden, Pharaoh had a vision of starvation following seven years of abundance, and it scared him. He said, is there anybody here who can discern the words of God? And they said, there's a guy in the prison. There's a guy that nobody wants. He can do it. And he did it. And he said, you need to save your money because a famine's coming. You need to save 20%. And Pharaoh said, is there anybody out there smart enough to do this? And he says to Joseph, since God has informed you, there's nobody as smart as you. Is that a good idea that a politician ought to say? Because you have the word of God, there's nobody in my country better than you. So you do it. And Joseph now became the bread of life to the entire nation. And when the famine came, the whole world came to Joseph. Isn't that something? Pharaoh said, you shall bow the knee. I will give you my signet ring only on the throne will you be less than me. And so that was Joseph. Israel didn't receive him, but the world did. All God told him is that you're to be a voice to your brothers and someday they'll bow to you. God didn't say anything about the whole world would bow down to him, but God was his reward. Question, did his brothers ultimately, after seven years tribulation, recognize who he was and bow down to him? Yes, they did. But did before that the entire world bow down? And so Joseph, by trusting in God, became the savior to the Jew and he became the bread of life to the world and brought them in in one kingdom. Does that sound familiar? That's Christ. And so because of your faithfulness, Jesus, I am going to make you the light of the world. Is there a fellow in the Bible who says, I am the light of the world? It is Jesus Christ. He will turn the lights on. You know what's interesting? Listen to this, how this verse is quoted in the New Testament. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord from Paul and Barnabas. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, you Jews. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And then he says, for so the Lord has commanded us, and he quotes two verses from Isaiah. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What was he quoting? Isaiah 49, this text. 
Paul knew this text. He knew it from memory. And it says that the Gentiles heard this and began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Y'all did that 20 minutes ago. I know because I saw you. You took words to the glory of God and you bunch of kuon, that's the Greek word for dogs, because a dog will eat anything and so did we. I saw you and I saw you give glory to the God of Israel. Amen. You ever had a verse come true in your experience? Right then, you did it. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. All of a sudden, these Jews in the dark said, man, if anybody knows who God is, would you please tell us? And then it said, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul. Bless their heart. The Jews didn't like Christ and they didn't like you and your churches. And so we continue in Isaiah. In verse seven, incidentally, a little good point. Christianity is a unique religion for a number of reasons, but two of them. We're the only religion that is missional, that we go out to call people to belief. We're not just the religion of India or the religion of Nepal. We are a belief to the ends of the earth. And we are the only religion that doesn't have a capital. The Hindus have a capital. Muslims have a capital. The Buddhists have the Dalai Lama in their capital. Catholics, God bless them, they have Rome and the Pope. Christianity doesn't have a capital. It is simply to the entire world. And that singular person becomes the temple of God. And so I'll send this to the ends of the earth. Verse seven, here's the way it would go to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and its holy one. God is the one that took Israel out of bondage because of his faithfulness to the promise. He is the redeemer and the holy one. He took Israel out of bondage. What time was that? You seen the movie? Charlton Heston came and led the nation. Does anybody remember who Charlton Heston is? Moses took Israel out of bondage. He was the redeemer because of God's faithfulness to the nation. Well, God speaks to one who is going to be tongue and groove with him, committed to the same purpose. He speaks to the despised one of Israel, the one abhorred by the nation to Israel, to the servant of rulers, the Sanhedrin, Herod, Caiaphas, Annas, the um, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, they scorned him. He was the servant to the rulers, the Jewish rulers. So how is this light gonna come? Number one, Israel is prophesied as going to reject him. Did that happen? Yes. And then somebody is going to accept him. Kings will see and arise Princes will bow down. In contrast to the first three lines, who are the kings and the princes? They are the leaders of the Gentiles. There will be Romans and Greeks and Germans and the Finns and the Alaskans and the Arabs and people from Austin and all over that will actually believe in him. So are you saying, Tom, that the way that the light will go to the whole world is that God will come off of the rejection of Christ by his native people and take the gospel outwards? He will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. Yes. This is prophesied in 700 BC before any of y'all's native countries were invented. God knew who you were. Jesus said, I have sheep of another flock and I will get them that they will be one flock with one shepherd. Who are the sheep of another flock? It's you. So God knew you before you knew him. 
And this will happen because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the way the text goes. Paul would recite this. Although he existed in the image of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to, but humbled himself and took the form of a bondservant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. He'll be a criminal. Therefore, God highly exalted him. He would rise, ascend, and sit to the Father's right hand and bestow upon him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus, how many knees will bow? Every knee will bow. How many tongues will confess that he is Lord? Everyone of those on the earth and under the earth and above the earth. Every angel, every demon, every human will acknowledge him. Form of God, death on a cross, the glory of the universe. Boom. Who else did that? David, Joseph, Moses, Jesus. Well, verse eight, and now this verse, let me stop right there. Are y'all aware from verse seven, the prophecy of how Christ would be the light of the world? He would come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and he would get rejected and then he would go to the entire earth. Did that happen? It happened, just like he said. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you don't understand the signs of the times. You can understand the heavens, whether rain's coming or not, but you can't see what God is doing. And you are the guys that read the Torah every Saturday in your synagogue, and you've been reading it for 15 centuries, and you can't see it. Can, can like the um, riddle of Samson be true? Out of something bitter came something sweet. And out of the destroyer came something to eat. Out of a dead lion can come sweetness. Are we glad? That's the riddle. You've got seven days to figure it out. Otherwise, you can't come to the feast. Well, in verse 8, thus says the Lord. He says, I'm going to explain verse 7. In a favorable time, I answered you, and in a day of salvation, I helped you. This man that's going to be rejected, God says, even though they reject you, I'm going to answer you, and I'm going to help you. He was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Though you get rejected, God is with you, and I'm going to raise you up. Well, this is called... The, the Hebrew says, in the time of good pleasure, I will answer you. When we are in times of great distress, we call upon God. Do we have answers like a genie immediately? Not my deity, you don't. You end up trusting him. You ever read the book of Psalms? This is every Psalm. I called upon the Lord, God, where are you? And you wait, I will hope in him, I'll trust in him. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Hope in the Lord, you will yet praise him. Hang on. Well, I answered you and I helped you, but I did so at the time of my good pleasure. John Calvin said from this text, he said, when a Christian is in struggle and calling out, he must not be impertinent with God. That you wait, how long must you wait? As long as the good physician says, you wait. And in a favorable time, then I will come. It's felt that this is the meaning of those verses you read in the New Testament that go, at the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He is the testimony born at the proper time. Christ was raised and began this age right on God's timetable. Interesting. Uh, 
King David is told you're going to be king. He isn't a king for 15 years. He's on the run for his life. And then it says he realized God made him king. He elevated him. Uh, Moses, you're going to redeem Israel. He was in the desert for 40 years until he becomes the redeemer. And they're at the burning bush. God says, go get him. Abraham is told you're going to have a kid. At 75, he waits until he's 100 and the kid comes. Paul is told that he will be God's chosen vessel to carry his word to the, to the world. And Paul has to wait 17 years, growing through the process until God sets him aside. And so God has rigged it that he won't let you use him as a genie. You're going to have to obey him and trust him. If I could write a song on it, I would call it Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey and tithe. Okay. Okay. And so, in a favorable time, and he calls it a day of salvation, there's going to be a day that when I help you is going to be the day of salvation. Now, I want to show you something interesting. If you take a concordance sometime and look up the word today, and you'll find it in the New Testament a number of times. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Truly, I say to you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. There's a today that began that was on his lips as he was dying. Today. Hebrews, today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Today, you come now. Paul quoted this verse in 2 Corinthians 6. And he said, uh, working together with God, Paul, we urge you, brethren, don't receive the word of God in vain. Y'all know anybody that is going to hell with a good knowledge of the gospel that has listened years and years to the gospel and blown it off? Maybe because they had all the time in the world, they thought. Paul said, as it is written, at the acceptable time I helped you on the day of salvation, I answered you. And then Paul said, now is the day of salvation. Now is the uh, favorable day or the day of his pleasure. Is the offer of salvation going to continue forever? I will be with you till the ends of the age. There's a period. And Paul says to these Corinthians, they were having some problems. Getting drunk at communion is always a problem. All right. Uh, following after factious ideas in the church, boasting about their sexual licentiousness and freedom, they had all kinds of problems. That's what happens when you live on the coast. Okay. You pick up all these ideas. I'm not kidding you. This is when you pick up all ideas. Uh, what was I talking about? Yeah. I can't remember. It was real good, though. Yeah, we're not going to have forever to respond to, oh yeah, Paul. And he's talking to the Corinthians. Had they heard Paul, he spent longer with them than any other church. He spent two years with these guys. And uh, they had heard. And Paul said, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Now is the acceptable time. You don't have all the rest of your life. You need to believe now. Y'all know a woman in our church that uh, usually sits right over here named Penny Wooten from Haskell, Texas. She's two foot one. She's this big right here. Yeah, she's a little bitty rat. She got saved when she was seven years old in the Baptist church. And she heard this good Baptist preacher saying, you're going to hell and I'm glad. Okay. And so she knew she had to respond. He said, you don't have forever. And she said, I meant to get saved. 
and there was about a six foot something fellow next to me, and she's a seven-year-old. She said, I pushed him out of the way because she said, I felt that salvation was down at that altar and I was heading there as fast as I could. We got a guy in our church named Ray Franks. He heads up our uh, international students ministry. Ray came to this church beat up. He was a musician and he was beat up and he listened and heard the gospel and he put it in his head that to receive Christ is to receive salvation. Well, we were having communion that Sunday and somehow in Ray's innocent mind, he put together receiving Christ with eating that bread. And so we had communion. He happened to be sitting at the front and he says, I was sweating bullets because I'm waiting for these guys to get to me, hoping that I'm not gonna die any minute. And so he said, I wanted now to partake of Christ and he got saved. Well, that's how Paul used this verse. When Christ died and rose from the dead, a day began. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. Today. And is it possible to go through this church, be a high school, junior high kid, go through all the stuff and not be a Christian? I'd be beat thoroughly by the vacation Bible school people and still not be a Christian? Can that happen? Yes, it can. Okay. And so there'll be a day of salvation. And then right after that, I will keep you and give you for a covenant to the people. Question, who are the people that will come in after the church age? Who, Steve? Who are the people that he will go to after the church age? The Jews, that's exactly right. So you're telling me, Steve, that he comes to be rejected by the people die, but in that death, God will open the doors of heaven to all men. It won't last forever because he will return to the Jew. You believe that? You may remain in this church. That's exactly right. So he will be a covenant to the people. Paul said, Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Christ brought the fulfillment of the covenant. Last Supper. This is the blood of the new covenant. And so he will give you for a covenant to the people to restore the land and inherit the desolate images. Now, wait a minute, Tom. Israel has not been in the land since 586 BC. Even now, they are not sovereign over their stuff, but after divine time, they can't even build their temple on the Temple Mount because the Dome of Omar is there. So you're telling me there's gonna be a future for the nation Israel? Yes. How would that have sounded before 1948? People would have said, you've lost your mind. But no, the Bible says, uh, I will not forget my people. Can a mother forget her nursing child, fail to have compassion on them? These may forget, but I will not forget you. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. You know where I quoted that from? Isaiah 49. And so, I will restore the land and make them inherit desolate images or heritages saying to those who are bound, go forth. It's called the regathering when Christ comes and regathers the people. When you get home, you got a little time, read Deuteronomy 30. It's called the Palestinian covenant, how God promises upon his return to bring the Jews back home and then to punish the wicked. And so we're not there yet. So there's a future for Israel. I believe that because I hold to the literalness of the Bible. And I attended Dallas Seminary and paid good money to believe that, okay. And in verse 10, they will not hunger or thirst, the scorching heat of the sun will not strike them down, nor he, but he who has compassion will lead them and guide them to the springs of water. That's what God's gonna do to Israel. Incidentally, if you got a cross reference, you'll look there and you'll see Revelation seven. It's quoted about those who die in the tribulation and are in glory, that the sun will scorch them no more, but I'll lead them 
back to the springs of life. And in verse 11, I'm gonna make the mountains a road and the highways be raised up to make it easy for you to come back. These will come from afar. They'll come from the north, like Russia, China. They'll come from the west, like South Carolina. They will come from the land of Sinim. You know what is believed as the land of Sinim? There was a group of people way back when that they spelled the dynasty T-S-I-N, Chin. And the people were called Chenna, China. And so I will gather them from China. And not only will I bring Israel back, but the entire universe, shout for joy, heavens rejoice, O earth, break forth into shouting, O mountains. God has comforted his people. Paul said that when Christ returns, nature will be set free from its bondage to corruption. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The child will play in the viper's den. Nature will be freed. You ever read the Narnia Chronicles where they would speak of the days when animals spoke back before the curse came. And now it's always winter and never Christmas. And then in verse 14, but Zion said, you're kidding me. The Lord's forsaken me. There's a saying among the Jews, if we're the chosen people, may God choose someone else. The Lord has forgotten me. They have been out of the land since 500 years before Christ. The Northern kingdom for 700 years before Christ. You're telling me that there's a hope for Israel? Yeah. Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child, have no compassion? He says, yeah, a lot of women give up their kids, but I'll not forget you. I've inscribed you, Zion, on the palms of my hands. The Jew was to wear the word of God on his hands and on his head, symbolically. The Jews had what were called phylacteries that they would do it literally, to never forget me. Did Israel forget God? But has God forgot Israel? No. I know who you are. As a matter of fact, do you know that Paul says that your salvation is Judaistically oriented? Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. Steve Poe, what were you, Steve? Is that German? Is that English? Scottish. Poe, where did you get that New Testament? I know you, Scots. The Vikings came down, they eat their enemies. How do you have that Bible? Well, you Jews didn't want it. So we took it. Thank you kindly. Where did you get that Savior, Steve Poe? Y'all didn't want him. So I took him. Where did you get the new covenant? Y'all didn't want it. I took him. Where did you get the rebirth of the Holy Spirit? You didn't want it. So I took it. We got him on the rebound. Well, your builders hurry to rebuild that city. Destroyers and devastators will depart. Matthew 23, oh, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you like a hen with her chicks and you were not willing. I say to you, and the Bible says at this point, Jesus, uh, it says he wept or he cried. It's not the word for Jesus teared as in John 11 at the tomb of Lazarus. <laughs> or he did this. Now this is the world word for wailing. He looked at Israel and saw what was coming and he wept. How I long to gather you like a hen with her chicks because the hawk's coming and you were not willing. And then he said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's gonna be desolation and deportation and darkness until the day you're surrounded by your enemies and you call out and then you will grieve for me as for an only son. And verse 18, lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather together as I live. You will put them on, he's speaking to Jerusalem, as jewels bind on uh, as a, a bride. Someday this city is going to be adorned like a bride for her husband and your adornment is going to be all of the Jews that come back and there will be in verse 19, the waste and desolate places are too cramped. You're going to be overflowing with the covenant people. The book of Zechariah says in that day that children will play in the streets 
and old men will sit on the porch and rejoice. Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Zechariah chapter eight, it's coming. Y'all believe that? I beg your pardon? Y'all believe that God is sovereign over history, that man can do whatever he wants and leaves nothing to chance, that God will control history. I believe that. Number one, man has done a rotten job. Number two, God is sovereign. And he never, I'm a premillennialist. I believe in the second coming of Christ as literal rule someday because God is faithful to his word. And if he said to Abraham, I'm gonna give your people this land, fill it with Jews and you'll be a blessing to the earth. I think that's gonna happen. And so in verse 21, you're gonna say in your heart, who did this? Where'd these kids come from? You ever said that about your own family? Who begot these kids for me? Where'd they come from? That's what George Bailey said. It's a wonderful life. Where'd all these kids come from? He said, I'm bereaved of my children. I'm barren and exiled and a wanderer. Who's reared these? If you ever go to the Holocaust Museum, Yad Vashim, buddy, you ever been there? The Holocaust Museum, big iron floor, pots burning wherever the death camps were. And there you see a row of shelves with names and volume after volume. They're the names of the children that died. Who has reared these? I was left alone. Where did these come from? Says the Lord, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set my standard to the peoples and they will bring your sons. Are you telling me the world someday will actually consider the greatest blessing they have to be the word of God through Israel? Right now, what happens if in a public place you say, I would just like to tell you from the Bible about the glorious God of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. What's gonna happen to you? You're gonna get failed, fired, or something. Someday the world is going to consider their greatest blessing, the people of the God of the Bible. And so they'll bring them on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians. Their princes will be your nurses. They'll bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. Verse 24. Now I'm going to read you this verse. You tell me where you remember it from the New Testament. Okay. Can the prey be taken from a mighty man or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? The answer is no. Surely thus says the Lord, the captives of the mighty men will be taken away. The prey of the tyrant will be rescued. Where in the New Testament do you remember Jesus paraphrasing these verses? They said he does his miracles by the power of the devil. Jesus said, oh no. Satan is not set against Satan. No, I'm not in league with Satan. I'm the opponent of Satan. And then he said, when you come into a strong man's house to deliver all of his captives, you first must bind the strong man. You got to defeat him. Then you take away all of the armor on which he has relied. And then you plunder his possessions. Question. Who's the strong man that guards his possessions? What'd you say, Debbie? Satan. You sure? Don't stick with that? Satan. Who is the one stronger that comes into his house and slaps him naked and hides his clothes? Who'd you say? Jesus. Y'all agree with Debbie Haverin? Okay. Who are the possessions that he will then plunder? Debbie, who are the people that Christ will remove? Debbie, <laughs> who are the people that he will take out and give them freedom? Us, okay. He said that in the gospel of Luke and he quoted a text 740 years earlier. That's where he gets this text. Here is talking about the Jews. Can, you, can, can a nation be born again? He says, I can do it. He applied that, however, in his day, not just to the Jews, but to us. Are you glad that somebody came from heaven 
and landed on planet earth and did a beachhead, bound the devil and then opened our eyes and released us. He that the sun sets free, we free indeed. Wow, a light to the nations. Well, he continues and says, and in verse 26, someday there's gonna be payday. I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh and they will become drunk with their own blood. There's gonna be gnashing of teeth. If you're one of the good guys, you wait, your day's coming. If you're a bad guy, you're gonna be in a world of hurt. And all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your savior, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Isn't that a great text? Let me ask you, how many of you remember Francis Schaeffer? Great, great writer from the 70s, 60s, who saw what was coming, because he was from Switzerland, and he saw what was coming. And he did a series called, How Should We Then Live? Did you read that, buddy? Bless my life. I went and heard him in Arlington when I was a young 23-year-old. And Francis Schaeffer did a series where he started with the Greeks, through the Romans, through Christendom, the failure of the Middle Ages, when we turn from Christ and look to tradition, then to the Reformation, then to the Enlightenment, where we forgot God and put man in his place and called it the Enlightenment. And then modern history that saw Hitler and Stalin and Robespierre and the darkness of modern times and the Holocaust and the October Revolution and the, the horror of modern man. And he showed that whenever man, his concluding idea was, I'll never forget it, when there is no absolute to govern society, society is absolute. And he said, man must have the God of the Bible to exist. And he said, without him, man is a very bad deity. Uh, he wondered what to name his series, showing historically the failure of humanity to make themselves the standard of truth. That it not only will be wrong, it will devolve into tyranny and bloodshed to force everybody underneath a godless ideology. Does that sound like it could happen? In England right now, you get arrested for praying near an abortion clinic. They will arrest you. And so he spoke this, gave this series and it was almost prophetic. And his wife named Edith found a verse in Ezekiel that said, what you're doing sounds like Ezekiel. And Israel saith unto God, behold, we are rotting away in our sin. How then should we then live? Or how can we survive? We're watching our culture. Israel was in captivity when Ezekiel wrote that. We're watching our culture die right in front of us. How, what can we do? How should we then live? Do we need more technology? Do we need smarter phones? Do we need to go to Mars? Do we need, what can we do? How should we then live? And God said, life is found in me. You better turn to me. Let me say to you as your pastor, I'm 72, I'm a genius. Okay. Let me tell you what I've said to you, what I've learned. Don't ever be overly impressed with the world that rejects God and puts themselves in God's place. They're always modifying and rejecting and getting a new idea because they can't ever succeed. Be careful that you're not Israel looking at Goliath, running in fear, because they're all talk. Hollywood, LA, Wall Street, DC, all these places are, are guff. They can't make for good deities. You know, right now in Syracuse, New York, they've got a program to pay the criminals $100 so they will not commit crime. Yeah. The mafia says, hey, what's new? 
We've done that for years. It's called extortion and racketeering. Okay. Pay me and you won't get destroyed. I'll give you protection from who? Me. And so that's being tried. Up in Seattle, their population keeps going down year after year. Nobody wants to leave there because they've rejected God. Which is okay if you're an animal and you're hardwired to act a certain way. If you're a human, you're in big trouble. And so don't be impressed at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and the like. Uh, we've improved on Peter's knit. We ain't improved on Peter. We've improved on Ruth's sickle. We have not improved on Ruth. Stay put on the ancient path where the good way lies, and you will find rest for your souls. So says the Messiah from seven centuries before his birth. Father in heaven, bless us this Easter as we go into this season in the memory of man's highest dream, God coming to earth, a God-man going to the cross, rising from the dead, bestowing his life, setting a day of salvation, returning for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Amen.